0: You are listening to Lights, Camera, Reaction, a movie podcast where the films we discuss have two things in common. One, they are at least 10 years old. And two, someone somewhere thinks the film is worthy of note. I'm your host, Logan Stoodley, and in this episode, we discuss the 2006 dark fantasy Pan's Labyrinth. On the next episode of Lights, Camera, Reaction, we discuss *Singing in the Rain. *Singing in the Rain. *Singing in the Rain. rain. *Singing in the Rain. There's an old episode of The Simpsons where Bart is having a great day. Well, it starts out great, and it gets progressively worse even before he leaves for school, and in the final moment, he walks in his room to get his completed homework, only to see his dog eating his homework. And he goes, hey, I didn't know you actually did that. That's how I felt when I stared at my computer while editing Singing in the Rain. All modern editing software, be it for photos, audio, or video, are non-destructive, so... They don't actually alter the original source file. It is saved safely somewhere else so you, or so the software itself, doesn't do anything to it. I had one of those rare instances where the software somehow did actually do something to it. I save the project... Opened another one to copy some audio over. By the way, if you haven't noticed yet, the outros for every episode are pretty much all exactly the same. I wonder why. And I went to pull all that stuff into Singing in the Rain, and all of a sudden there was no audio there. All my cuts were there. All the edits I had done were there. But for some odd reason, my computer quite figuratively ate my audio. So yeah, until the pain of the loss subsides, we're just going to move on. Pan's Labyrinth is about Ophelia, a young girl who, with her mother, is forced to move to a rural cottage to live with her stepfather, a captain in the Spanish military responsible for all the provisions in the area and also responsible for hunting down the local Spanish maquis, who continued to rebel against the rule of dictator Francisco Franco, even though the Spanish Civil War had ended about five years prior. Meanwhile, Ophelia discovers an ancient labyrinth and is soon approached by a mysterious fawn, who claims that she is the fabled lost princess of the king of the underworld and she must complete three tasks to be reunited with him pan's labyrinth was written and directed by guillermo del toro and it stars avana baquero sergey lopez maribel Verdú, doug jones ariadna gill and alex angulo
1: all right so pan's labyrinth um anyone's anyway, first time yeah. guess, you guys, you yeah, no, no. right
0: Did we all three see it
2: We did The the 70 mil Yeah Yeah.
1: That that, that time Was my first time So this is only my second watch
2: I've seen it like At least 10 times (laughs) I, I love that movie. I, I probably watched it too young. People at school were talking about it. I think I was, like, in sixth grade or something like that. And oh I was God. like, I want to watch this movie. And my parents didn't know what it was. And they saw, like, the fawn on the front or whatever. And we're like, cool, it looks like some fantasy thing. Go for it. I rented it from Blockbuster. And... It's an R-rated fantasy film. Hey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're and then,
0: like, oh, I was in sixth grade. I'm like, that's the, it came out the year I graduated high school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, but I just, I have this memory of being like, dad, this movie is so cool. You need to watch it with me. And he was like, okay, like, sure whatever put it on and then he's like oh my god how did you why did we let you watch this like it's good but it's so like bloody it's bloody and like yeah <laughs> and i loved
0: it before we go into like uh, the ending because yeah. uh, that's the thing i always want to get people's thoughts on with this film did anyone have like a favorite moment favorite character favorite thing about i film? love
2: mercedes she's amazing right she's so good yeah. i i love the captain the captain's incredible. The really captain's good. incredible. He's so awful, but, like, so good because he's, he's awful. He's just
1: so... Deliciously awful. The parts I like about him are not his evil actions. They're his intensity yeah. and his specificity. Mm-hmm. And, like, I could watch him shave all goddamn right? days. It's so good. <laughs> I could watch him clean the watch all day long. And, like,
2: the way he'll always, like, put the record, and he sets the little needle, and then he looks at himself in the mirror. Like, his yes. little mannerisms like, are great. Like, you know
1: so much about who that man thinks he is, mm-hmm. just by watching him do that stuff. So
2: true. Yeah, and then
0: every time you interact with him, it just, you get more insight mm-hmm. into him. Mm-hmm. Which says, I think, speaks a lot to both the actor and the script. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because there's a lot in that character to digest. Like, trying to live up to his father's dream. The mm-hmm. idea of, oh, the son should know when the father dies. And, like, they The only way to die is in battle. Like, you really get into this guy's head.
2: Yeah. I, but I love that it's subtle. It's not just like super, this is who he is. Like, no, he's you know, a bad like, guy. Yeah. yeah. But it's all there in a very neat and concise way. What about you, Logan? This is one of those films where I don't feel like I have favorite moments. Like,
0: I really like Mercedes. She's probably my favorite character. But I don't really have favorite moments as yeah. much as I just appreciate the entire film.
2: Yeah, it's hard to break it into
1: one moment. I can tell you the moments I don't like. Yeah. All the ones with the girl. Really? Every time she goes off to do fantasy bullshit, like, I'm like, go back to the, the cool ass war. Like, go back to the political intrigue. Like, That's I don't so care. That's so you. I know. I know. That's, Dude, that's but totally you know, the but you know why? you've
2: ever said you, in a
1: podcast. Do you know why that is? Huh. Because every time she goes off to do fantasy stuff, she fucks it up. She fucks something up and she ends up disappointing everyone and everything goes wrong for the main character.
2: Not, oh, uh, you know, that's true.
1: When she goes to feed the toad the magic the beans, top, she, she gets all dirty dress, and yeah. ruins the dress and ruins the evening and disappoints her mother. The second time, she eats the grape and she
0: disappoints the fawn. And the fairies yep. die. Yep. The fairies yeah. die, yeah. die yeah. and he tells her, oh, you failed, you can't do it again. Then he
1: forgives her And then for, the whole thing with the little mandrake root, everything falls apart for her. That's the point of the character, right? Mm. The film culminates in her dying. Yeah. Like, everything goes bad for there her. There it is. Spoiler. But, right, if you didn't watch the movie, watch the movie. But I really enjoy... I could watch a movie without... Um, what's her name? Ophelia. Oh, Ophelia. Ophelia. I could watch yeah. a movie without Ophelia and, and be so happy.
2: Well, you almost could have the movie without that side of the story even being in it. Yeah. It would be a whole separate film. But yeah. the, the two pieces kind of coming together are, are really nice they work in a good harmony
0: my least favorite moment is just it's one specific thing because I don't have a problem with like violence or like someone getting cut when the captain gets his cheek cut open by Mercedes don't have a problem with that It's literally when he goes to to stitch himself is the only time that I'm just like, and I don't know why. Because, like, if someone else was stitching him, I wouldn't have a problem at all. (sighs) But the fact he's doing it himself, I just immediately, like, tense up.
1: And and then he takes a swig of whiskey afterward and just, like, seeps through the bandage. But
0: then he has another shot of whiskey because he is above the pain. Yeah.
2: I would love to see how they did the prosthetics and stuff for that bit. Because, like, he's sewing through and you're like, did they just put, like, layers? Like, what... What did they do? Because it's yeah, all in like this one shot. Computer you know?
1: imaging or what?
2: Del Toro does a lot of practical. It would make sense. Even if he when you do think it's CGI, it's practical. With I th- exactly. I mean, that's like even his new films are like that. So <laughs> yeah. So those
1: are my favorite moments. I wish we could get to go see the Rebel Base again. I loved that. Yeah. I love seeing these kind of like underdogs fighting against essentially Nazi of the Captain. Yeah. Like yeah. it's so good. <laughs> it's <very> good. <laughs> that's the part I love the most. Is that yeah. that kind of stuff. And the subterfuge and the, you know, the doctor and their Mercedes and the doctor's like double life that they have to lead. and
2: Something I really like, and we, we talked about this briefly after watching it, was the captain as a villain is a very sharp and smart man. Whenever they're trying to hide something from him, he notices every little detail. So like when the doctor's using the little medicine and he has the same vial that he found, he immediately remembers. Like yeah. immediately. It's
0: like, oh, this is where the guy got the, it's like penicillin or something. It's like, oh. Right,
2: exactly. I know, I, know, I, know. I know the
0: sources so I and it's not like he does anything right away he immediately like oh okay doctor sympathizer with the rebels he just puts it away for use later
2: when he asks like Mercedes like you know is this the only key even the first time you know he's kind of onto it even if it's just a sneaking suspicion he's very sharp it's not this let's just fool the bad guy the whole movie until the very end he'll figure it out like he kind of is like figuring out every little thing throughout the way well he's he's a train
1: man he's unstoppable yeah even if he gets slowed down or can't find a lead or something there is constant. Progress forward oh, yeah. of him systematically eradicating these people,
0: and it's not until the end where it seems like he's more concerned about his son. The mm-hmm. moment the son is a factor, because he, knows, he
2: knows he's gonna die. Like that's well, the thing. I don't think like it's a, he
1: knows he's gonna die even earlier than that. Oh I would yeah, say.
0: yeah. With well, the moment he has a son, he has it's the first thing that sidetracks him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care about the mom. He doesn't care about Ophelia. He only cares about what's in the womb until it's out of the womb, and then after that point, because he even tells a doctor if. If you have to save the wife or the baby you save save the the baby baby. Mm -hmm. like don't even don't even try to save both just save the baby the lineage and stuff for him is huge that's like everything yeah and so the moment he has progeny is the moment he actually starts his fall it's because he's sidetracked he's got something else that he needs to concentrate on and that happens to be the time the rebels attack and he isn't giving his full attention to them
2: well and I think it's great that moment right before he dies the final thing that he gets to say and it's like the worst thing that you could ever say to him is that his son will not know Anything about him. He's so pained and then he's killed, and you're like, that's so good. The ultimate defeat for that man was the fact that no one, like the son will never know who he was. Right. He has no legacy.
0: But as much as we've not talked about her, Ophelia is the main character. So I want to kind of dive into your thing, Charles, of where you just don't like her because she. Fucks up everything.
1: It's not that I don't like her. It's just that as a movie viewer, every time I watch a movie where a character gets shit gets on. shit on repeatedly yeah. and like can't rise above it, it bothers me personally because oh, okay, sometimes I feel like that and I can't get ahead. It's like a, a
2: painful viewing it's experience. A pain,
1: well, it's just that it's a painful. It's a worldview.
2: Yeah, because
1: their whole world is this movie for us, right? And. In their entire world They can't have a nice time They can't get ahead They sure. can't be respected or understood Or believed Especially for Ophelia It does its job by making me uncomfortable mm-hmm. And so I, be, I yeah. become uncomfortable That's all it is It's not yeah. that I wish it wasn't that way Yeah, because yeah. I remember
0: reading that Del Toro wanted Because he felt like a lot of characters in fantasy Everything just seems to go right for them Sure mm-hmm. And so he wanted to have a character where Things didn't go right for her But she still succeeded anyway she still gets the key from the frog, but she ruins her dress and gets in trouble with her mom. Yeah. She eats the grapes because she got sent to bed without supper. So she's hungry and she succumbs to her hunger. Yeah. It's like she is a victim of her circumstance rather than any lack of, of her right yeah. exactly yeah. which I find an interesting way to look at it and it was kind of weird because I've watched this movie so many times and it wasn't until I read that I was like oh like I had never clued in on that mm-hmm. sure
1: so here's something that Kelly said to me literally as we started the movie is it all real or
2: not yeah. oh
0: this is this is literally my thing do you think her fairy tale ending actually happened to either of you
2: I always looked at it as her like going to heaven but that's that's kind of how I always took it but then I still argue with myself because I'm like no but she has the birthmark but nobody ever saw her talking to the fawn like they didn't see him and then I was like but maybe it's like that thing where they don't see it because they don't believe I'm like oh man I, I
1: don't know it's so hard I think the film was created to make you believe that this was Ophelia inventing things for herself yeah because nobody ever sees the fawn nobody ever sees the book that she has the fairies the fairies even the mandrake root
2: the, captain's the captain the captain different.
1: sees it but it looks different and then he doesn't see it move in the fire yeah he only sees it as a Weird sound plant.
2: either they yes. went screaming and dying they don't react to it yeah.
1: yeah and so if this is Ophelia creating a fantasy world for herself to escape her terrible terrible situation yeah of course she would know that she has a moon birthmark and be like ah the princess has a moon yeah. birthmark like that's for her
0: yeah i take the ending as her just succumbing completely to the fantasy yeah
2: exactly yeah.
1: i really want it all to be true
0: oh and yeah so i'm
1: gonna come at that perspective
0: i want to be true but just there's too many things i think in the film where you question whether or not she is it's actually happening or if it's all in her mind that there's a part of me that just can't help but think that she's
2: I mean what about She's dead She's not in this afterlife Like I do that too But then I keep finding things That make me go Well no Because then that has to be real Like the mandrake root Like the mom gets better And the doctor's like This is really weird She should not be getting better But she is It could just be a freak circumstance But like What would be the odds That in her fantasy world She makes this thing That would make her mom better But then it works
0: Because I think the mom The mom getting better With the mandrake root Is one of the bigger Oh wait but things But it's still one of those things Where I can't shake the feeling That it's It's just It would have been one one
1: thing if the mandrake root was never interacted with by anyone else because right. then it would be like well what if there was no mandrake root what if she's just pretending that she's up. helping her mom but the captain picks it up and so like what the fuck is this thing like, like, like this
2: gross thing that your daughter put under your bed
1: spoiled milk and all yeah. that yeah. Too. I'm deciding that it's real because if it's not then <laughs> she just had a horrible life and then died I would and, and I super hate believed.
2: that I, to <laughs> me I really like that it could be either way and that there is no yeah. definitive answer I would love to know what del toro thinks though or maybe he doesn't have a choice. Like maybe he is like. Or he's I don't just know. being a dick and he's like, I so ever the audience reads it, it's like yeah, oh. but I, I respect that though, because then it lets us interpret it oh. in so many different ways, but I still would secretly love to know I re- it's, he intended I res- it one way or another. Like like you, I do respect it. It doesn't change the fact that I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> well here's the thing.
1: This is he spent a lot of time on this film. I think a decade. He always spent a long time on his film. So we can assume that everything that's in the film is incredibly Intentional.
2: Oh, and absolutely. Everything.
1: I mean, like, of course you can do that with every every filmmaker.
2: Well, he's known for that specifically, though. Yeah. He's very detail oriented, and he goes way. I mean, he does his own story.
0: Well, part. it's like not only that. There's a, the story is he met with I don't remember which actor or actress. I think it was the guy who played the captain, but don't quote me on that. Del Toro was able to give him a point by point breakdown of the story, and then the actor goes, "Oh, I'd love to read the script," and Del Toro's like, "Oh, I, I'm still writing it. I haven't finished." And then the actor was like, later in an interview, was like, yeah, every single thing he said was in that script. Sure. And it was, actually I don't think he even said, oh, I'm still writing. I think it was, he hadn't even started writing.
1: I yeah. remember a story. Now, I don't remember if this is Pan's Labyrinth. I thought it was. Where Del Toro was in New York City. And he had a notebook. Because he always does concept art for his films. It was this film. It was it this is. film. Yeah. It was. So he had this notebook full of his drawings and notes of what the monsters could look like, what these creatures are, They're story so outlines, good. things like that. He was in a cab and he left it in the cab. He thought it was going to be the end of the story. And he thought that was it. And then through a crazy circumstance, the cab driver saw it, recognized what it was, figured out how important it was, and made a point of getting it back to him. And because of that, we have this movie. That is so indicative of the actual film itself that it's ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. Like, of course, there's this perfect circumstance of events that happens to make sure that the story follows the way it should. No,
0: I couldn't no make kidding. that
2: up. Kelly, did you have any least favorite moments? Or that's hard. I don't like when the guy's leg gets sawed off, but that's just because it's sad.
1: <laughs> what is it cut to? It like There's like a jump cut right there where he's like about to saw. Well, and he does. It he to to does saw. Just... Well, but then it goes to something right away. It's like a book being closed or something. Something like that. I don't yeah. know like but yeah, it's on a jump
0: cut.
2: The part that I don't like about it is like and it's, it's not an execution. It's done <laughs> so well. But it's like, sorry, the leg He's gonna have to go, and they're sitting there, and they're all gathering around, and he's swigging the alcohol, and he's like looking at his legs. At one minute, he's like looking at it, knowing it's gonna go. And I'm like, oh, that's so awful. I mean, that's it. Like, it's not that the scene's done wrong. It's just that it's sad. It's effective. Yeah, it's okay. very
0: effective. Yeah. Like I already said my least favorite moment. It's literally just like yeah. it's moments of uncom- where you're uncomfortable, but that it's you're uncomfortable by design. Yes. Oh yeah, it's a big what? They so, so it isn't necessarily that it's a bad moment in the film as much as oh no, the film's doing its job. Yeah, I just start feeling like I need to like curl up in a ball. I need to feel safe. I can't think of anything that I don't
1: like. Yeah, there's no flaws. No. Um, it's, it's as, far a, as far as it's I'm It's a concerned. piece of
2: perfection. It is a great
1: <laughs> film. <laughs> and again, I, I agree with you guys. The things that I don't, I don't like are it's by personal. design. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This film is a is an exercise in torture emotionally. Yes. Everything in it is bad. <laughs> the mother <laughs> as a whole is like not that great of a mother to Ophelia. No,
0: she's, but she's because a bad she's, it, her a lot. Yeah.
1: she's in this Incredible circumstance. She's bedridden.
0: Like, she's lost her lost Ophelia's father yeah. during the war.
2: The captain's taken control. She's of been her presumably
1: life. raped by this captain who's decided to take her on as his wife. Well, because he won't even he wants let her walk.
2: Book. He's like, yeah. "Oh no, captain insists that you take the wheelchair, like to do it for me. Like she has to be in a wheelchair." And clearly. it's again,
0: it goes into his whole thing. He's not concerned about her or the daughter. It's the baby. It's the baby.
2: She knows that. Yeah. Or when they when the twins at the dinner are like, "How did you and the captain meet?" And She's telling the story, and he's like, "They don't care." like don't don't tell that story that's lame like don't don't talk about that it doesn't matter and the
0: thing is like, everyone at the table goes along with him
2: like oh but you can see that bumpkin that, that look where they're like oh okay oh but of course the captain's right but like, yeah the they kind of that moment where they feel kind of bad for her it looks like even on their faces mm. but they're not going to say anything because he's the captain and he's in you're charge you're afraid of, like, well, no, he's, he's in charge of
0: the food, food. Like, this guy is a person responsible for all the food and the medicine and everything that these people will need to survive. And so, you kind of don't want to rock the boat.
1: I think one of the things that I admire the most about this movie, other than the incredible creature design and the story oh, sure. and stuff like that, is the way they show death. The gunshots in this movie are incredible. Specifically, we'll talk about the one at the end where the captain gets shot in the face. In the cheek. In yeah. the cheek. You don't see that. You see people getting shot and then you don't see the bullet wound or and you the see head. them fall down yeah. and then you see a pool of blood in this movie you see a hole appear in their face you see the blood oh, inside, inside their brain start to go and cover up their eye yeah. and you see it start to leak out a little and then you see the characters start to die and the emotion die from the eyes and then they fall down and effects wise astounding that they yeah. can do that actor wise incredible that these actors get this opportunity when That's the, the doctor gets shot in the back he oh, goes cool. for a couple of steps yeah, and then you can see on the actor's face that parts of his body are starting to fail and then he falls down and dies yeah
0: that moment I love that moment because you can tell that he's not gonna just go down Mm -hmm. he refuses it's his last act of rebellion is to keep walking even though he knows he's gonna take a step and then fall forward
2: I always thought it was amazing too that he like after the doctor after giving the injection to that, that soldier he stays around because it's like he already knows he's caught he knows what's gonna happen and he chooses to have his final words with the captain have this rebellious moment as opposed to like trying to escape or like trying to sneak around like he's accepted that he takes it with such dignity
1: dignity is a big factor in this movie huge of course i think it's because of the time period and the characters and the setting that these characters would have so much dignity but that's what makes ophelia so weird Mm. is that she doesn't have that dignity she doesn't care what people think about her she's and and, Yeah. yeah she's a child but also like i think even if you just age that character up 10 years okay. she'd be the same she would not I'm not gonna call him father no I'm not gonna in some ways be subservient to his will she yeah. may
0: not be doing it out of dignity but she's definitely not just bowing down to his authority yeah mm-hmm. she knows he's dangerous but she goes out of her way to avoid him and she doesn't really recognize him as an authority figure she just sees him as okay here's this kind of a dick that I need to avoid she doesn't care who he is well, yeah
2: she doesn't like him
0: and <laughs> in some ways as much as that might not be dignity the way these other characters are presenting it's her own act of rebellion and ultimately a lot of this film is people rebelling against his authority and control and refusing to accept it as how it should be because even though franco ruled till the 70s the captain dies in the 40s one
1: of the other things that i really enjoy is the spanish
0: <laughs> yeah this film is
1: a foreign language film it is not in english the so
0: studio not. offered yeah. him more money yeah yeah to do it in English, and he went, no, we're going to do it right. That's something, it's kind of admittedly a knock on the American audience, but there's a part of me that hates the fact that, oh, we have these foreign people in this scene, they're going to speak accented English. For the love of God, put subtitles on and have them speak the foreign language. Exactly. It's kind of refreshing to have a film that was obviously, first off, as much as we can talk about it being Mexican or Spanish, and there's some debate over which one it is, because it's set in Spain, lots of Spanish actors, but it's a Mexican director, the funding was a lot of it was american american by way of mexico because um alfonso Soron was mm-hmm. one of the main backers mm-hmm. and the, the fact that they wouldn't back down they're like no it's going to be in spanish That's i think huge. is huge
1: well and the the actor you guys are going to know his name who plays the monsters he plays the fawn and he plays uh, the, doug jones doug jones doug jones. Mm-hmm. doug jones learned all of his lines in spanish for yep. this film and learned them phonetically So that he would say everything with the correct phrasing and inflection. And then... They dubbed him anyway. They dubbed him anyway. (laughs) Because it was like, no, this is not precisely perfect and it needs to I be. don't
0: think it was it was precisely perfect. I think it was his voice wasn't it the just... right voice for that character. Sure. Plus, I think the voice actor they got for it was a prominent Spanish voice actor. Plus, it's deep and authoritative and Doug Jones' voice is not. Uh,
2: Either way, though, I think the fact that he was willing to do that for this film is really cool. And, well, that, and like, Also,
1: I can't imagine how that helped the, the, the co-stars characters. in the scene. Oh, well,
2: yeah, he had
0: too. to... Not only did he learn his own lines phonetically, he had to learn all the lines before his and after his so he would know when to speak he doesn't know Spanish that's why he had to learn the lines phonetically yeah yeah but he was also the only person on set who didn't speak Spanish. So he yeah. basically had to learn so much of the film just so he could play those characters. Yeah. And he's so good too. But that I think that also speaks a lot to Del Toro because Del Toro goes, you're perfect for this role. I need you to play it. And he was just like, okay, I'm there. That says a lot about Del Toro as yeah, a director. They have
2: together forever. Like, that's really cool that he is the go-to for Del Toro's like crazy monsters and stuff. Yeah.
1: The bug fairy, so good. She's like, a fairy. It's the scariest fucking bug you've ever seen.
2: Charles was like, nope. I was like, nope. As it's like crawling up the bed.
0: No, "No." I'm I'm there too. Like, if a bug fairy like that came flying at me I would freak the fuck out because yeah, well I and don't do insects
2: I don't know what else to say about it because it's just that like I've seen it so many times and I love every single thing in it I guess that's it, that's another plus thing with it is is the rewatchability because I feel like every time I do watch it there's something that I've either forgotten or didn't notice or some tiny little acting choice that I appreciate there's always something new to be like kind of gleaned from it every time well and there's little
1: bits Not you don't always lines, recognize but... like the first time you watch the film you don't understand how important the knife that Mercedes rolls up yeah. in her apron is. I really also appreciate the periodness of it. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to draw her a bath. They don't just like turn the faucet on. Like they have to heat up
0: water on the stovetop and then pour it in. Which means a bath is a huge effort. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a luxury. It's not just something you would get.
2: Or how like they were always like, or the mom was always worried about Ophelia's shoes. Even in the very beginning when they get out of the cab and Ophelia's following the ferry around, she's like, what, you just did your shoes? That's
1: something that that I've encountered in people who have come from poverty
2: right right Um,
1: my grandmother grew up having like one pair of shoes for everything and her parents no shoes so like they made sure that my mom had lots of shoes and lots of nice shoes and it was something that they cared about quite a bit I'm two generations away I don't give a fuck about shoes like because we're 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 of such privilege that we don't have to worry about
2: it and we complain when we can't go barefoot I mean it, it can be poverty too, but I think it's also of the time because now you can buy shoes fairly cheap. Maybe this a telling of where the mom has come from in her background, maybe of a lot of poverty. Is you know she is like, look at this beautiful dress I made you, and wait till you see the shoes. Like look at these shoes that I got you. She's so excited to give Ophelia the shoes, and Ophelia's kind of like whatever. Well, she was also yeah. what,
0: a seamstress. She was married married to a tailor. husband was a tailor. Yeah. Probably didn't have a lot of, like, probably could get nice clothes just because they had access to it at the shop. materials, but... Just because they had access
1: to materials doesn't mean that they had access to have them. Yeah. You know, I think that she probably definitely came from poverty. And, like, the line that strikes me every time I watch this movie is, like, they're laying in bed, the mom and Ophelia, and Ophelia's like, why do we have to be here? This sucks. Yeah. And the mom says, like, someday you're going to understand that we do not always have choices and that and your then, life sucks, but mine is not great right now. Also. Yeah. And it implies such a depth of character that you didn't really realize. Cause you're like, why is the mom going along with this guy? Why is everything happening? Like, I get that she's being pressured because it's whatever, but like security her, mm, so much more than that. Here's my story that I spin from it. And I don't know how much of it is intended and how much of it is just me, but like the father, the tailor was killed.
2: Right,
0: He was
1: not just dying of a heart attack. Yeah maybe he was a rebel and the captain comes and impregnates her and maybe then kills the husband well they did you say know that we don't he, know well
2: they say the captain came into the shop to get his suit tailored several times and then after the husband dies he comes back to like yeah steal her away and marry her or so if you yeah. if
1: you use those context clues he fucked this pretty woman that he saw Eliminated her husband and then abducted her to his military post. Her life is hell too, you know, yeah, just like yeah. Ophelia's.
0: At the same time, like my thing with security, it's hell. But she doesn't have to worry about how she's going to feed Ophelia next. She doesn't and have to that's worry why about- that's yeah. why she does, does with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's
1: why she. Yeah, exactly. She makes
0: the sacrifices. It's it's shit, but we can survive. But then doesn't she die in childbirth? Yeah, she does. Yeah, so she. But she dies in childbirth. Ophelia dies captain dies yeah. the only person who survives is the one person the captain cared about Baby. but he will never know the
2: captain's name yeah, yeah. it's really bleak Mercedes survives though and I I, I I remember the first time I watched it I thought she was gonna die the whole movie and then she didn't and I was so happy by
1: the very end it's not bleak it's hopeful because yeah. the rebels have won and I, the child's alive and yeah the main character has died but she's also in a p- better place and she's if you in, believe the fancy yeah. she's gone to where she's but, supposed to be So
2: that final shot is like Mercedes just sobbing over Ophelia's body and you're just like yeah. oh, oh my god like so so sad.
0: What's interesting about Mercedes too is that she's almost more motherly towards Ophelia than Ophelia's own mother. Yeah um, she feeds
2: into her fairy tales and stuff yeah, like that where her
0: mother didn't. Cause mom always viewed it as overly childish for a girl Ophelia's age and Mercedes just goes with it but I get the impression and I don't know if it's actually something said in the film or if it's just my interpretation but that the the Rebels are leaving Spain and going to France because the Allies have invaded. I
1: never got that feeling. The, uh... Wait, the
0: Allies? This is. Well, no, it's because it takes place in Spain, but you could get. I think it's from the paper they're talking about the invasion of Normandy. They, oh. they,
2: they mentioned the Americans coming onto the beach yeah. in France. So, so
0: I. Yeah. I've often
2: wondered because they're talking about
0: leaving. I wonder if they're leaving as the fight is over, we've lost Spain. Because at this point in history, the Spanish Civil War had been over for a few years. Yeah. I just don't wonder if they were like, there's no point in fighting for Spain anymore. We need to go. Maybe, Maybe. we can go fight I somewhere never... else. That's why I was wondering if that wasn't just my own personal take well, on where I... they were going, or if it was actually something said in the film.
2: I I was trying to constantly figure out like when is this taking place in history but then I this last time I watched it I caught oh yeah like the Americans just like got to Normandy or whatever and I'm like okay wait a minute so that that's when this is then. Don't they
1: okay. say the date at the beginning of the movie?
2: I don't know I but that was, like, gives a, that's, it
0: that's I don't know if they give a year or date, but that times it to uh, June of 44. And I think the Spanish Civil War had ended by like 39. So that means these rebels have been basically fighting a lost fight for a few years, at least. Yeah. Even if my time is of what year it ended is wrong, it was still
2: over. Like they said, this is our... Daily Bread in Franco-Spain. Yeah, it was kind of hard to pinpoint, but that's because during that time period there was so much going on. Like, Yeah, you could literally have set
0: it in France, like over the Pyrenees, and yeah. basically had the exact same movie. It just would have been Nazis instead of spanish fascists and yeah. the rebels would have been you know american soldiers or free french or british soldiers it, it, like you could literally have moved the tale over but i've often wondered why he sets it in spain and i think part of it is because everyone else would have said it in france well and like the
1: story this as much as i want it to be the story is not about the captain and is not about the rebels it's about ophelia's Journey mm-hmm. And setting it in a... First of all, it's awesome to set it in a place where movies don't get set. In yeah. a time where movies don't get set. So that's great. Yeah. It allows the movie to be in Spanish, which is something that is, I assume, closer to Del Toro's heart than French is. And it wasn't the obvious choice. Yeah. Because it would be very easy to set that in Germany yep. or in France in or Germany, yeah. whatever if you're trying to tell a story about that time period. But the time period it doesn't really matter to Ophelia's story yeah Mm -hmm she's going to go and find an ancient labyrinth no matter what. And she's going to talk to this ancient thing from beyond time and do these things that have nothing to do with time. So, like...
0: Yeah, I think the only requirement of the story wasn't necessarily the time setting as much as the idea of this overwhelming force that you can't fight against. And you can set that in many different historical time periods. It's just that that is one that people can more easily relate to. But again, like you said, it's one we don't really see. We don't really ever sea story set in
2: Spain during World War II. Something that would have been kind of cool to like, I mean, I don't see a way that you could incorporate it into the story, but like I still would like to see is the fact that the fawn says that they're like, that is the last portal that's left into the other world but that there were hundreds of them if not thousands scattered everywhere to f- try to find the princess. I kind of would have loved to have seen traces of that in other places. Like I don't know like I said I don't know if there's a way yeah. to, to show that but like it opens the possibility of like such a cool history.
1: It'll be in the um, Disney Channel TV show *Pans Labyrinth all over the oh, world. No. <laughs> oh no. Oh
0: god. But um, labyrinths
2: around the world. Yeah. It's kind of jumping to a different part of the film but it's something that I always thought was kind of interesting. The, the part where the baby's actually up and the mom's real sick, and she, you know, asks Ophelia to tell a story to brother in the womb, and Ophelia tells like this very dark, bleak story. She doesn't tell like once there was a prince and a princess and blah blah, blah. like no she talks about this flower and like this curse and all of this like dark stuff so I mean it's like she's obviously been very impacted by the things around her like if that's the kind of story that she's choosing to tell
1: and it could just be that's the fairy tales of the time that could be too yeah. in that part of the world right yeah. I mean we're not again we're not looking at a girl in California in the 1960s oh well, like, yeah
0: because Disney has made the idea of a fairy Tale. And like Disney he was
1: around at this point.
0: Well, yeah. no. What I mean is, is when the, from the modern perspective, when you think fairy tale, immediately you think the Disney films like Cinderella, Cinderella. or I Snow think White. Grimm, but yeah, but that's the thing is, if you look at Grimm, Grimm's tales are actually really dark. It's just that whenever you tell the modern American. Fairy tale, you immediately think happy. The prince finds the princess and saves her story. Yeah. Or fairy tales are actually kind of dark.
2: It's less that like it's a matter of like how fairy tales were. It's the fact that that's the story she's choosing to tell her unborn baby brother. Of all of the stories, like you choose something that is very very heavy. Because
0: yeah. the thing that's interesting about it too, it's two things. One that the people were too cowardly to go after the rose, and then the rose was left alone unplucked right. because no one was willing to go get it it's just sad telling of a tale okay now go to sleep brother the sequel in the sequel because there'll totally be one right oh, but it'll be uh, all in english because you need to make this have wide appeal the brothers can be like man i have these weird dreams about a rose on a mountain it's a great film i mean it's still i would say widely popular this was one of those films that somehow broke out of the it's in a foreign language right
2: so no one sees it yeah it's it's very rare that a a foreign film like that really can get mainstream acceptance. Yeah, and in, in America, it's, it's very difficult. Let's just face it, Americans don't like watching foreign films that well, much. Well, it's like not it's not only that. Look at some foreign films if they're
0: trying to appeal to an American audience. Look at uh, Snowpiercer. The reason why I bring up Snowpiercer is it's a Korean film, but they brought in American actors, and it's all in uh, English.
2: Like Great Wall?
0: English is one of the few languages you can make a movie in, and it can have a worldwide
2: audience. But I think it's really amazing that, you know, Del Toro was like, I'm gonna make this the way I want, and that's in Spanish.
0: Thank you for listening. Please feel free to leave your thoughts about the film at www.teambluepost.com reaction. If you want to stay ahead of the spoilers, in the next episode, we discuss the 2002 post-apocalyptic horror film... 28 days later. If you enjoy Lights, Camera, Reaction, please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Lights, Camera, Reaction is a podcast by Team Blue Post. If you always want to be aware of what we're up to, you can always follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Team Blue Post. That's all one word. You can also find out more at our website, www.teambluepost.com. You can also check out our other podcast, The Blue Post Podcast, which is available on both iTunes and YouTube.